Lord Jesus, in your mercy, heal us. In your love and tenderness, remake us. In your compassion, bring grace and forgiveness. For the beauty of heaven, may your love prepare us. Amen. The wisdom of the book of Jonah comes with a lot of dry humor. Jonah is given a very hard assignment to go to the capital of Assyria, the greatest earthly power in his world. Our first lesson deals with Jonah's anger, his complaint with God. Jonah seems to have been rather grumpy from the beginning. By the time we encounter the angry Jonah, he had heard the word of the Lord, Arise, go to Nineveh. Instead, Jonah flees to Tarshish from the presence of God. There was a storm at sea. Those on the ship with Jonah blamed Jonah for the mighty tempest at sea. His fellow human beings threw the difficult Jonah into the raging sea. A great fish swallows Jonah, the very unwilling prophet. You know the story well. Jonah is delivered from the belly of the fish. He hears for the second time, Arise, go to Nineveh. Jonah goes to Nineveh and he preached, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You can sense he was very proud of himself. The people of Nineveh heeded Jonah's preaching. Even the king removed his royal robes and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Suddenly it was lent in Assyria. <laughs> and Nineveh was not overthrown. Jonah was a successful preacher. But he could not see or accept God's amazing grace in Nineveh. After hearing Dr. Cleveland yesterday, I suppose we should assume that Jonah had very low self-esteem. <laughs> Rather than giving God thanks, Jonah gives God anger. Of course, there is the question, why in the world would Assyria listen to a Hebrew prophet anyway? Why was Jonah so angry? He had accomplished the unthinkable. He had people listening to his sermon. <laughs> now remember, when Jonah was told to go east, he went west, caught a boat to the west. Jonah would not have been a low-maintenance friend. 
he was never very satisfied with himself or with others. So why on earth did Jonah have a problem with God's mercy and God's responsiveness? Why was God's grace so objectionable to Jonah? Jonah says to God, I know you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and rich in steadfast love, and one who relents from inflicting disaster. Yet in the next breath he is angry. The bottom line, Jonah wanted Nineveh to pay big for her sins. He wanted them to suffer. Jonah saw God's mercy as disproportionate. Some people are so undeserving that to be merciful and spare them becomes a moral outrage. Indeed, there is in Jonah some simple selfishness. Jonah thought he was better than the Ninevites. He wanted a God like the God he imagined. Here, if I had time, we could see a modern-day example of mercy that is too costly in Steven Spielberg's film, Saving Private Ryan. It is a powerful scene as Corporal Upham shoots a German soldier in cold blood. So what was God's response to the angry, complaining Jonah? We will never know why Jonah had such a problem with the divine compassion of God in sparing Nineveh. Jonah goes outside the city to pout, to be by himself, to cry in his soup. He says, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. God then gave Jonah a bush to give him shade, to save him from his discomfort. Then we are told that God sends a worm, God is sovereign over all things, to attack the bush. The bush withers, and Jonah's perpetual suffering continues. It is true, initially, Jonah is more concerned with his own discomfort and loss of shelter than the withering plant. Jonah's first concern seems to always be Jonah. And this is a recurring theme in this short story. And in all things, God shows pity, even for the angry Jonah. There is a modern-day Jonah in one of Flannery O'Connor's short stories. I may not have time for saving Private Ryan, but I always have time for Flannery O'Connor. In the story, her last story, Revelation, we encounter Mrs. Turpin in the doctor's office. She is self-righteous and selfish. She assumes that she and her husband, Claude, are better than all the other folks in the doctor's waiting room. 
One person in the room, a young student at Wellesley College, is home visiting her parents. She was reading a book, Human Development. After listening a bit too much to Mrs. Turpin talk about herself, Jesus, and how bad the world was, the shy college student hurls her textbook across the room and screams, Go to hell where you came from, you old warthog. <laughs> now immediately, like Jonah, Mrs. Turpin had a complaint for God. She was shaken to her core. She was a respectable hard-working, church-going woman, not a warthog. As the story ends, Mrs. Turpin is back on her farm in Georgia, washing the pig pen. Like Jacob wrestling with the angel, or Job demanding his day in the heavenly court, or Jonah angry with the compassionate God, Mrs. Turpin confronts God. Why did you send me such a message? How am I a hog? Look what I do for the church. I break my back for you every day. Then Mrs. Turpin has a vision, a revelation. A vast swinging bridge extending up from the earth through a field of living fire. Upon it a vast horde of souls were rumbling toward heaven. There were whole companies of white trash, clean for the first time in their lives, and bands of blacks in white robes, and battalions of freaks and lunatics shouting and clapping and leaping like frogs, and bringing up the end of the procession was a tribe of people who she recognized at once as those who, like herself and Claude, had always had a little of everything and the God-given wit to use it right. She leaned forward to observe them closer. They were marching behind the others with great dignity, accountable as they always had been for good order and common sense and respectable behavior. They alone were on key, yet she could see by their shocked and altered faces that even their virtues were being burned away. The revelation faded, and Mrs. Turpin remained immobile. In the woods around her, the invisible cricket choruses had struck up. But what she heard were the voices of the souls climbing upward into the starry field and shouting hallelujah. Mrs. Turpin's revelation is that the last will be first, 
and the first will be last. Mrs. Turpin wanted to keep the white trash and bands of blacks last. Jonah wanted to keep the ignorant people of Nineveh last. He wanted them to suffer. For Jonah, God's mercy was too great. God's grace, too amazing. That was the revelation Mrs. Turpin received. She faced the truth of her life. She was a selfish old warthog. But the full revelation was stunning. She was heading toward heaven, albeit at the end of the line. She was an old warthog going to heaven, not to hell. Jonah was a selfish old warthog. And yet God sent him on a divine mission. In the end, Jonah was spared, and so was Nineveh. And so was Mrs. Turpin. God's compassion keeps making the first last and the last first. With Mrs. Turpin, may we join with the souls climbing upward into the heavens, shouting hallelujah. It matters not if we are first or last. We say hallelujah because each of us, by God's grace, is one of the voices of the souls climbing upward into the starry field. And we all say hallelujah.